know, there's times they sit up here. <coughs> there are times they sit up here and I said, our group needs to do a CD so I can listen to it in the car. And uh, just excellent. I love it when they harmonize like that. Don't you? I just love it. So, Well, okay. So, um, go, if you will, to uh, Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2 is what we're going to be looking at today. We're kind of going to be looking at when uh, the, the silent time. Um, the, the, the beginning of the silent time in the life of Jesus. And uh, we, we know there's so much that Jesus uh, did in his life, but we only have in the scriptures about three, maybe three and a half years of, of what's being uh, talked about uh, in the life of Jesus. But what happened during that time of silence? We just don't know. And so you do a lot of imagination uh, during that time. So um, if we go to Matthew chapter 2, we, we see Jesus was born. The, the, the Christmas is over, okay? Um, the, the, the stable is, uh, is now empty. Um, um, Jesus, Mary, and, and Joseph uh, have to go someplace to stay. We, we don't know exactly where it was. We All we know is according to they went to a house. So I'm using my imagination here, and, and, and I think here, here's Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. They're in this stable, which is essentially a cave that has maybe some, uh, some fencing before it, or maybe some hedging before it, or something like that. And they're in this cave, and, and, and the, the time of taxation is done, the, 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 the people are all leaving Bethlehem, and they're looking for a place to stay because you, you really don't want to travel with a, a, a lady who just had a baby. And, and so they probably went to, I'm thinking, their relative's home uh, because Joseph went to the house or to the city or the, the town where his relatives were. So they went to their relative's home and they probably stayed on what was called the insula. And I spent a lot of time uh, explaining, trying to explain to you what an insula was, because when we think of a home, we think of it in Western standards. We, we normally think of Jesus was in a house, and so it had, uh, you know, 20 bedrooms and, you know, three bedrooms, a kitchen, and all. That's not what it was. It was a family compound. And I, and I really didn't understand that until I went to Bangladesh and India. And you go into the tribal areas, and, and they have family compounds where all the family lives. And you'll have this central area, like a courthouse area, a uh, courtyard area, and then you have little rooms that are on the side of it. And, and that's where they stayed. Uh, uh, the Dunton family, Darwin Dunton family was in this little room. Uh, David Dunton, Dennis Dunton, uh, Debbie Kremple, you know, they were all in these little rooms. So most likely, in my opinion, Jesus and Mary and Joseph went back to a family compound and there was a room and they went in that room and that's where they stayed while Mary was uh, recovering from the giving of birth. Okay, so we know eight days after Jesus was born, they went to the temple. Bethlehem was really maybe an hour, hour and a half walk from the temple. So they went up to the temple and there uh, they uh, 
dedicated Jesus to God and they used uh, doves as their sacrifice, which is a symbol of the fact that they were poor. And so that's why we think that we say that Mary and Joseph were probably not wealthy, they probably were poor. Okay, so now once again we have this silent time. But there was something that was happening out east. Something that was happening out east. And you had what were called magi. We, uh, they were probably astrologers. And they uh, saw this star that came up in the east. And, and, or probably towards the west. And, and they looked at that and they said, that's a symbol of the fact that uh, this new Messiah, this new king was going to be born of the Jews. Where did they learn that from? Well, let's go back a little further. About four to five hundred years before these magi were alive, there was another magi that was out east. His name was Daniel. And he started a school, a Magi school, and, and probably he brought in the scriptures and says, now, when you start seeing this star in the sky that's this way, that's going to be the, the sign to you that the King of the Jews, the Messiah, is coming. So that had been passed down from generation to generation. And then finally this, this star comes up, and these Magi, we traditionally say three, we don't know how many, the reason why we say three is because there were three gifts, gold, myrrh, and frankincense. All right? So we don't know how many. But they come out to Jerusalem where the king of the Jews should be. And they meet this guy named Herod. Herod the Great. Now, he really was not great in the standpoint that he was a nice guy. He was great in the standpoint that he had a lot of building projects and he built a lot of things and he brought, basically brought Israel up to modern times at that time. But he was also very cruel, he was very paranoid, and he was afraid that people were going to take his throne. The best way to describe him in today's standards would, think, would be this. Think of Kim Jong-un in North Korea. Got that? So here you have this ruler in North Korea that's absolute. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. And Herod had that idea that I'm the king, everyone is here to serve me. And if you don't serve me, I'm going to take care of you. And I'm going to, you're, you're, you're going to regret the day that you dis, dishonored me. Here are some of the things that Herod did. Okay, let, let me turn in my notes here real quickly. Okay. Herod had uh, ten wives and many children. He was so paranoid that people didn't like him that they were going to kill him that he built uh, uh, fortified uh, forts, you would call them, and they would be 20 miles apart. So, if somebody was coming in and they were attacking Israel... Herod could flee to these forts, these fortresses, and he'd be protected. 20 miles is a day's journey. So 20 miles, then you go to another one 20 miles, you go to another one 20 miles, and then you go to another one 20 miles, and all these fortresses were, uh, were situated in such a way that he would have face, safe passage 
to his home country. Got that? By the way, anybody know what this fortress is? Masada. And uh, read up on it. It's a fascinating history of Masada. Every uh, Jewish soldier goes on to Masada when they become a soldier. They tell the story of Masada and how the uh, during uh, 70 AD, how these Jewish zealots stayed in Masada and they take their oath in Masada. Okay? Very important to the Jewish people. Herod was an Edomite. He was not 100% Jewish. He was half Jewish. Edomites came from the line of Esau, Jacob and Esau, right? And so, um, and they've always been a thorn in the side of the Israelites. He put to death his own children, two sons, uh, Astrobulus and Alexander, he put to death. He put to death a third son five days before he was going to die. And by the way, he knew he was going to die. I'll, I'll explain this a little bit later. But he knew he was going to die. He still put his son to death anyway. <clears throat> when he was at the point of death, he knew that Israel would not mourn for him. So he gave orders that all of the government officials that were Jewish, all the prominent people of Jerusalem, were to be arrested at that point, they were to be taken to the Hippodrome, and they were to be murdered and, and, and massacred at that point. So that there would be great mourning, crying in Israel. You see that? I know they're not going to cry for me, but I'm going to make them cry. Now they did not do that. He was already dead. They said, why are we doing this? And so they, they let him go. It was also during the time of Herod the Great that they started rebuilding the temple again. In about 20 BC, Herod decided that he was going to be, be rebuilding this temple that was destroyed. Now, why did he rebuild it? Two reasons, two thoughts. The first one is, is if I build the Israelites a temple, maybe they will like me. Got that? The second one is so he could be have his name on it, right? Herod's temple. So he would be known throughout history as the one who built that temple. For example, Fort Wayne, they have Martin Luther King Bridge, right? Uh, you go along some of these uh, highways, you'll see this highway is dedicated in memory of so-and-so, Colonel so-and-so, whatever. And so he built that. Some of the people think that he built that so that people would... Uh, uh, say, oh yeah, in great, inherit a great person for building us this temple. So here you have Jesus. Jesus is born. He's dedicated in a temple that's not done yet. Because this temple, they say it was finished in uh, uh, 60, 63 AD, so it took a very, very long time. In fact, they had employed over 10,000 carpenters, 10 to 18,000 carpenters at one time were working on the temple. What was Joseph's occupation? Carpenter. He was a carpenter. Got that? So I'm thinking, I'm using my brain here. So here's Mary and Joseph. They go to this insula, a family compound. They're staying there while she's uh, while she's recuperating. He says, we need to get money. I need to get a job. He goes up to the temple and gets a job as a day laborer. 
my opinion. There's no biblical evidence of this. But if you need 10,000 workers, where are you going to go? You're going to go to the place where the workers are needed. And by the way, the temple's only an hour, hour and a half walk from where, where I live. So here we have a paranoid Herod. You have a temple that's being built. You have a, 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 a wife that is uh, uh, recovering from the baby being born. You have baby Jesus. We talked about his significance last time we were together. We have Joseph trying to get a work so that he can, uh, they can survive. Let's go to, oops. Got to get the right one up here. So let's go to Matthew chapter 1, chapter 2, verse 1. Ready? Because now we're going to get into the meat of the sermon. Two kings. The tale of two kings. One paranoid, the other one loving. One vulnerable, one takes advantage of the vulnerability. So Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, we already talked about him, Magi, we already talked about them, came from the east to Jerusalem. And they asked, where is the one who has been born the king of the Jews? How did they know that? We already talked about that. We saw his star when it rose and come to worship him. So what was that star? We don't know. We know last year we had the Bethlehem star, if you remember that. In about a year or two, it's going to come back again. Uh, remember that? I was uh, reading Charles Swindoll. Charles Swindoll believes that it wasn't a star. He thinks it's just the Shekinah glory of God that was shining upon them. So we don't know for sure. But they, they saw something. It was unique. And they went to worship the king. How did they know the king? Because they were part of the Magi school that Daniel had, had actually, bought, had actually made or developed. Okay. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Well, if you're paranoid and your whole life is uh, saving your reign, you're going to get disturbed. So King Herod, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. I always thought that was interesting. All of Jerusalem with him. you got to think once again. Think of North Korea. Think when North Korea's uh, rulers, dictators, die. You remember that? About 10 years ago? Uh, Kim Jong-un, Kim Jong-il dies. And all North Korea, uh, they are mourning and they are crying. And if you didn't mourn, if you didn't cry loud enough in North Korea, they would arrest you. So it makes sense. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. And here you have King Herod. He was disturbed. And all Jerusalem says, well, we better be disturbed too. Okay? So we know that they, they, they went and they, they talked to King Herod. They said, where is this king? We're coming to the, the place where he should be. And uh, they said, uh, he, King Herod then uh, called the scholars. The scholars said he's going to come out of Bethlehem. And then they went to Bethlehem and, and they knocked on the door of the house where baby Jesus was. How old was he? We don't know. He could be anywhere from, in my opinion, anywhere from three months to two years. My opinion is, is that he was three to five months old. Why do I say that? Because out east, in the area of Iraq, where these wise men were, it would be anywhere from 400 to 1,000 miles where they'd have to travel. Multiply or divide that by 20, that gives you an idea how many days it would have taken for them to come. So if they left immediately, that's when they came. 
So you had the Magi that shows up. My opinion, uh, three to five months, six months. I'm more towards the four to five months. They, sh they come up, they see Jesus, and they bow down, and they give him three gifts. What are they? Come on, what are they? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. All right. When kings paid tribute to a new king that was born, they usually gave him 50 pounds of gold. Now, we don't know for sure if that's what he got, but you multiply 50 pounds of gold times the price of gold, you multiply the myrrh and the frankincense with worth four to five times as much as the gold. How much money was brought in that day? Some scholars believe $1.5 million. Doesn't that just blow your mind? Am I really taxing your mind of what we've always learned? See what I'm saying? Now, I don't know if it was that much. I'm looking at maybe, we know he got money. Why did God give him money? Why did God give them stuff that was valuable? Go back, go back to Scripture. Ready? We're going to go to verse 13. I keep doing this, hitting the wrong one. Verse 13. When they, the Magi, had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there till you, till I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child. We've got this paranoid Herod who is now, this kid is going to take over my throne. I need to kill this kid. So he, being Joseph, got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod, 4 B.C. That's when Herod died, about 4 B.C. So, we're saying that Jesus was born between 6 B.C. and 4 B.C. When you say 0 to 1 B.C. when Jesus died, was born, no, it's really 4 to 6 B.C. So Jesus really didn't stay in Egypt that long. Okay, maybe 6 months, maybe a year... But what paid for their trip to Egypt? Gold, myrrh, frankincense. Big lesson in there. And I'm going to share that with you pretty soon. So then Herod... Let's uh, turn this around. Then when Herod... Um, when Herod realized that he, they had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. How dare you do that to me? Kim Jong-un, you don't mess with me. And you hear some of the things that he's done to his generals and his, his people because he gets angry at them. You know what, I'm going to throw you to the wolves, literally. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and his vicinity who were two years old and under. So, you're saying, well, that means Jesus was two years old. Not necessarily. Okay. Let me explain it this way. We're in about three months, three or four months, we're going to get into the stormy time of year, right? And you get these, these uh, announcements from the National Weather Service saying uh, there's going to be a severe thunderstorm watch uh, Mercer County and surrounding counties until between 6, 8, 6 p.m. and say midnight, right? I have learned over the years, being on the fire department, is very simply this. 
You want to know when the storms are coming through? Go right in the middle. So they're expecting the storms to come in at 9 o'clock at night. Where do they expect them to go through? Look at the map, go right in the middle. So if they say Van Wert County, Mercer County, Dark County are in the warning or uh, the area, go right in the middle, Mercer County. And they give you that little leeway just in case the storm varies. So I think the same thing with, with Herod. I'm going to go two years old because I want to make sure we get him. So he sends his soldiers into Bethlehem. Bethlehem's probably about the size of Mendon. Really not that big. And so they go in and they kill all the boys that are two years old and younger in Bethlehem. So it's probably 10, 20, maybe 30 children were killed. That's why there's no record of it. You would think it was thousands upon thousands of, of babies that were born, that were killed, there would be a record of it. Because somebody would have made a comment about it. But because there were so few, there's really not a record of it. Okay. When that was said, through the, and that was said through the prophet uh, Jeremiah was fulfilled, a voice in Ramah, Ramah is the town where Rebecca, where Rachel died. This is important too. Ramah is also the town where every one of the exiles, when Israel went to Babylon, had to go through. So it was kind of a trail of tears. United States history, we've got what's called the Trail of Tears, where we took the Indians out west. That was a Trail of Tears. And so it says, they heard a voice in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Any mother lost a child, you know what I mean by this. Rachel weeping for her children. Now Rachel, uh, the, the, the wife of Jacob, had two sons, uh, Benjamin and Joseph. So she didn't lose any children, so why is she weeping? She actually died on childbirth for Benjamin. But anyway, why is she weeping? Rachel symbolizes, is symbolized as the mother of Israel. So it's symbolic here saying, Rachel is mourning for her children who are being deported into Babylon through Ramah. Now, they bring it up to the time of Jesus and talking about the mothers who are weeping for their children that were just murdered. Okay? And they can be comforted because they are no more. And anyone who has lost a child for whatever reason understands the pain that's associated with that. After Herod died, verse 19, so Herod now dies, the angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So I'm thinking about six months, Herod uh, dies, Jesus is now coming back. Once again, the trip's being funded by, by what? Gold, myrrh, and frankincense. Okay? So he got up and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. When they heard that, that Archelaus was reigning in Judah in place of his father, Herod, they, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew from the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth, 
soul was filled with what was said through the was fulfilled was said through the prophet that he would be called a Nazarene. All right. Now, I gave you a lot of background, a lot of history, and I also gave you my opinion on some things. When I give you my opinion, I will let you know it's my opinion. You can take it for what it's worth. All right. Because in these silent times, you do a lot of thinking, what happened, what could happen, type of thing. But I found three big major lessons that we've learned. Well, actually four. Herod, a prime example of self, sin, self, and narcissism. And we are always in a, 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 a world that is filled with people who are filled with sin, self, and narcissism. It's all about them. We study the history because what Church, Winston Churchill says is those who fail to learn from history are, are doomed to repeat it. For example, Hitlers. There have always been Hitlers. There have always been Hitlers. Because we forget how they got there. That's why you have to teach history. So my teens, my people in high school here, that's why we teach history. So that you will, we will learn from it. One thing that really concerns me nowadays is the, is the uh, real strong emphasis that's happening for socialism and communism. Those my age understand why we are fearful of communism. Because we grew up with the Berlin Wall. We saw people who would die to, to run from communism. We saw individuals that would put themselves in seats, literally pack themselves in seats, between seats, in seats, so that they could go from, uh, 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 I always get them mixed up, from one side of Germany to the other. Okay? And now we're having this real strong emphasis that's happening on our college campus. Oh, if we could just do this, 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 make the rich pay, and I'm sitting going, do you understand what's involved with that? Same thing here. We learn from it. Okay, so... What are three lessons? Number one is, all humanity lives in a fallen world. Reject it. <laughs> Reject this world. And what I'm saying is, is the world says, these are the standards, this is what makes you happy, this, 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 this. No, it does not. I know that because I go to Walmart. And I look at people in Walmart and I'm going, and, and they're, they're searching for something to make him happy. There's, I, I told Terry, Terry Krogman works at Walmart, I said, there's two, two gals there at Walmart I'm watching every time. I've never seen a smile on their face. And I, and I see what they're, and I know what they're experimenting with because they have it all over them. And yet they say, if you can only, then you'll be happy. And I'm looking at them, not one smile comes from their face. We live in a fallen world that says this is what you must do to be happy. Reject it. Reject it. Because all it does, it will make you to be a slave to something. Unfortunately, we are also part of a fallen world and we have to live with the heavenly grace, the Kim Jong-un's, the Hitler's. And there are born-again Christians who are affected by these people. And I think about this in relation to, you know, the soldiers went in and they killed these babies, these innocent babies that did absolutely nothing, but yet we are killing our babies in the United States and the world. 
It is estimated that 1.5 billion babies have been aborted. And we look at Herod and go, oh, isn't that terrible what we did? And yet we're applauding the babies that are being aborted? The people say, well, that's their freedom. They can do with their, their body. But really? 1.5 billion babies have been aborted. And I preached last year on abortion, and I'll tell you, I'll be honest with you, um, I've become more pro-life than absolutely any one of you in here. I'm more pro-life than anyone. I had a kid in my last church that was a result of a rape. And we're saying that he can't live? See, when you see those things, it changes your perspective a lot. Well, you're a man. I know. I understand. But was not Mary carrying a baby that was not Joseph's? Okay. We live in a fallen world rejected. Secondly, is press forward in faith and watch God provide. Trust Him and obey. This is when I wish I had the teenagers here today. Most of them stayed up too late last night and they're all sleeping this morning. I wish they could hear me on this one. You're at a part of your life when the society is going to constantly tell you to compromise. Don't compromise. Don't do it. You're a part of your life where you're going to say, there's no good guys out there that are Christian. There's no new girls out there that are Christian. They're out there. They're saying the same thing. The Bible says we're not supposed to be unequally yoked. Wait for the godly guy or gal. They're out there. They're asking the same questions. I've seen it so many times when we compromise before marriage. And they'll compromise and they'll, they'll bring a, a, guy, a guy in. But he's not a Christian. But I know that. But don't you know what the Bible says? Oh, he'll, he'll change. Really? Very, 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 very rarely do I see that. Trust and obey. For there is no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Our society has taken away the holiness of marriage, the holiness of the family, the holiness of the home. And they keep saying, compromise. Don't compromise. Don't compromise. Allow God to bring that guy or gal to you. They're out there. Allow God to provide. God provided gold, myrrh, and frankincense to Mary and Joseph, who did not know how they were going to get to how they were going to get to Jerusalem or to Egypt. God provided. And it may not be ways that you think. Let me, let me share this little story with you. I'll not. On Thursday night, uh, we, we got our grandkids for the week. I had so much fun. Polly, take care of me. I, mean, I had so much fun. So anyway... Uh, so my, uh, my daughter and her husband were going to come to our house on Thursday night, and they were going to spend the night. 10 o'clock at night, I get this phone call. Dad, we're broke down. Where at? I'm thinking I-69 or something like that. No, we're, we're at the, uh, what is it, MRDD? Uh, by, by the Sheriff's Department just north of it. What's that? 
for developmentally, whatever it is. Anyway, we're there. I said, okay, I, you're only about five minutes away. I'll get there right now. So I got there. But the hood's up, and, and, and my son-in-law, he's looking in his engine. He goes, I don't got any oil in my engine. Oh, that's not good. And I reach down, I pull up the dipstick, and it is drier and dry. It's dry as bone. I go, this is not good. So we went to Walmart and got the oil, dropped my daughter off at our house, and then realized we got the wrong oil. So we went back to Walmart, got the oil again, went over and put the oil in the car. And, um, of course, it's windy, so the oil spilled everywhere. So if you go there and you see an oil spot on the road, it was us that did it. And, and so then we, we, we filled it up, and then we went to, um, we started driving back, and I noticed Tony didn't make it to my house. And I go, where's he at? And so I get a phone call. He says, I broke, I broke down again. The engine's making this real long, not, real big knocking noise. And I said, stop the car. He said, I already did. I went and got the tow strap, brought it back, put it in there, and, and brought the car back to home. Next morning, I get up, and there's this puddle of oil on the, on the, on the road. What do you think just happened? So I call up, trying to find a mechanic, and find one, take him over, and they said, well, we can get into it. So, all right, so we, take, we hook the car up, and we go over to uh, uh, the mechanics. We drop it off. The afternoon, they call up, and they said, well, i got some good news and bad news for you. And, by the way, the whole time, Tony knows the engine is toast. He's already looking for a car. You know, maybe we need to go to Rhino's and get, get a car there so we can get back home. You know, like, we really can't afford twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000. Can't do this. Calls up and says, it was your air conditioner that blew up. What does that have to do with oil? Okay, here's the God sighting. Notice I didn't do God sightings today. Here's the God sighting. They forgot to put the dipstick in all the way in the engine when they changed the oil. For two months, that oil was slowly going out of the engine. And because they did not have it in all the way, when I pulled the dipstick out, it was drier and dry. They're figuring there was one quart of oil left in the engine. Had that air compressor, had that uh, 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 air conditioning compressor not blown up, and cost them a thousand dollars. They'd be paying twenty to thirty thousand dollars for a brand new car. And so my daughter, she's praising God for a thousand dollars. And she said, "This is a God sighting." She goes, "My engine didn't blow up. My engine didn't blow up." Yes, I got a thousand dollars. I got to come up with, but that's better than twenty. See, I believe God provides if you trust and obey. And you look for the God side. She can look at the fact that she has to pay $1,000. Or she can look at the fact that she's got a car. See it? Trust and obey. The last one is this. Even as a child, scriptures proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah. Got that? There are four prophecies that are talked about in the scriptures that I just uh, shared with you. He's going to come out of uh, Egypt. He's going to be a Nazarene. He's going to be, um, the women are going to be, uh, uh, Rachel is going to be crying. And had all of these prophecies that are being fulfilled. 
And if you think about how weird it is, I mean, he has to go from Galilee to Egypt to Nazareth to whatever. It points to who Jesus is. He is the Messiah. Worship and accept Him. And in 2023, you're going to have a ton of people that are going to be saying, Jesus is not the only way. You're going to have a ton of people going to say, Jesus is not the Messiah. You're going to have a ton of people that are going to be attacking the church and Christianity. It's going to happen. They, the world hates the church because we stand for righteousness and the world wants to be the God of their own life and they're not going to be, they don't want to be godly. Hold on to the truths of Scripture. Accept and worship Him. So here's the questions that I really want to ask you at this point. Of these three, um, you know this is what happens when I get away from my notes. From these three important points, and that's this. Ask yourself this question in the time of reflection: Is how, with God's help, and I am I going to overcome and reject the sinful Lord, the sinful world that I live in? You see what I'm saying? It's there. Where right is wrong and wrong is right and those who stand up for what is right are going to be considered wrong. God, how am I going to hold on? And how am I going to remain straight and true? The second question is this. What is God asking me to do to trust Him? Maybe I'm dating right now. And, and, I, and, and I'm going, God, there's no guys out there. There's no gals out there. Whatever. They're there. Trust me, I know, because I felt the same way. And then I met Polly. What does God want you to do with your finances? Maybe you've never been challenged with tithing before and uh, who was I was talking to this week about the joys of tithing and, and they were just saying it's because we're tithing, we're trusting God and we're seeing God provide it was Don Burke, I was talking with Don and she goes I didn't tithe, I didn't have any money but then I started doing it and God provided what are you going to do if maybe even the occupation now takes a, takes a, a, a turn and wants you to proclaim things that are not God. Can you trust and obey Him? And the last one is, how am I struggling with my faith? With the world echoing that there's more ways to Jesus than just one. How am I echoing? How, how, how am I holding on to the fact that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except for Him. How do I need my faith to be strengthened? Let's pray.
Father, we come at this time. We are praying that, that Lord, that you will help us to remain strong in you, that we will reject the world, that we will trust and obey you, even in the midst of difficult times. We pray for that, O Lord. And we pray that in 2023, the Lord will become strong in you. May you be the center of all that we do. And may we follow the example of Mary and Joseph. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. I want you to reflect on that as Abby continues to pray. We also want to let you know that the elders will be up here to pray for anyone who would like to have prayer for anything. And, uh, may you make Jesus the center of 2023. God bless you all. And uh, we will see you next week. God bless you. You are dismissed.